Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I don't know what your experience with prayer has been in your life, but for most of my life, it's been extremely confusing. And this is how you know if it's confusing. You go out to eat with a large group of people and or you're sitting around the table with a large group of family. Food is put on the table and mom looks around the table to see who's going to be praying for the meal. And you know it's confusing when you duck your eyes into the mashed potatoes saying, please, mom, don't pick me. I don't know what to say and I don't want to do this. So she scans the tea around the table to pick the person who most likely has the most background in some sort of religious thing and picks you. And then you go into this time of like, what do I say? Now, if you've ever had that awkward feeling of prayer, you know this is confusing. Like, what do I say? And maybe your family doesn't pray before they eat, or it doesn't, but you've been in this situation, right? It's like that awkward, I don't know what to say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, like, what do I say? And so you've got this confusing idea of prayer. And for so many of us, it's scary. Do I recite the same things over and over again? Do I read them out of a book? Do, how do I talk to God? Do I actually think God listens when I pray? It's confusing. And what's confusing about it is the more that we've been growing in life, we've heard so many different variations. We've heard variations and we're like, well, if that's prayer, I don't sound as good as that person. You know, the guy sits down or the lady sits down in the circle and has all the words. Dear God, upon the clouds floating among us all, wist thou great, and then maybe King James Version, wist thou greatness, and they're using these big flourishing words, and you're like, I can't pray like that. I'm not going to say a thing. I'm going to sit here and wait till this is over because that person knows all the right things to say. And then you're like, but wait, aren't I supposed to pray? This has been like this for my whole life. So if you can relate to this, you can understand. It can be a very confusing thing. But I don't think it's supposed to be confusing. And Jesus didn't think it was supposed to be confusing. In fact, Jesus had a whole different concept of it. But let's go back to the confusing part for a second. Perhaps you've been in a prayer circle or someone who wants to pray gossip. Let me tell you what prayer gossip is. I'm going to pray for somebody and gossip about them at the same time. Dear Lord, would you please help my friend Bill? My friend Bill's a huge gossip, and he talks about people all the time, and he also cheated on his taxes. Amen. That's prayer gossip. Can I pray for you because you're a tax cheater? You know, like, we, we use prayers at time to gossip. It, it gets so confusing. Is God a genie that we just ask things for to make things happen? Is God someone that we speak to like he's so far away with, and he has to have all these elegant... Who is this God and how do we pray? It is so confusing when we talk about culture. It's not confusing when you actually look at the scriptures. In fact, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount lays out a very clear way that we are to pray. And the prayer that we have 
with him is he changes this concept or this idea of a God that is distant and far, and he turns it into a papa or a daddy. He takes the idea of this God that is so distant from you and so angry with you and so frustrated with you to one who is near and loves you. And he does this all in Matthew chapter 6. So if you'd open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we'll be in Matthew 6, 5 to 13 today. And for those who've been inside of the church world, uh, we're going to be exploring the Lord's Prayer. Prayer pro- most people have heard, most people have heard it recited. Uh, some even have it written up in their homes, the Lord's Prayer. But before we get to that, we have to see what Jesus is talking about prayer because he sets up this case of maybe a new concept you haven't seen before in scriptures, that he sets up a case to change the way we to think, are to think about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, it says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and with the, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their, their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus lays a case here to take a look at the world around them and say, okay, you are seeing the wrong types of prayer. You are seeing the wrong things in your culture. And what he starts with, he begins with the religious leaders. The religious leaders of Israel would stand on the street corners and they would make a huge spectacle and show and use all these grandiose, huge words because the religious leaders of Jesus' times, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders were cultural leaders because being Jewish was also tied into their culture and their life and their religion. It was intermixed. And so they would stand on the street corners as their religious teachers and they would have loud, boisterous prayers They would call out, forgive our sins, forgive us. And they would pray loud and everyone would be like, oh, look at how religious they are. Look at how holy they are. I want to pray like them. Now, these influencers were influencing an entire community of followers of God. And these influencers, as they're praying loud, well, you want to be like them. So they would make this huge spectacle and religious show. However, it started to change the way that people would think. Now, if you had somebody who's your leader and your religious leader out there doing this, you would say, but he loves God so much, but I love God so much. Therefore, if he's doing it, I should do it. And so you see this adoration and this worship of these leaders start to happen because they're so holy. But it didn't stop just in their prayer life. Those leaders at the time would mark and put themselves as being holier and better than others. And then when you read through the scriptures of Jesus, he's always fighting with these Pharisees all the time because they're always acting religious, but inside they're dead. Fake on 
the ins, faking it on the outside because they're dead on the inside. So they would go through this huge spectacle and show. But what we see in this is the theme of Matthew chapter 5 before this, that Jesus has been teaching on the mount in our, our former series. He says this, and now it makes sense. That righteousness that God desires starts in the heart. Righteousness that God desires starts in the heart. Everything that's going on inside of us is what God is after. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching about this this whole time in the chapter before. Now he talks about prayer, and he goes back to the same theme. What God is looking for is people who are praying from their heart. Not a show, not a spectacle, not a look at how religious I am. Because the notice here is the motivation. Why are you praying? What is your purpose of prayer? If your purpose of prayer is to go and have people look at them, it's the wrong motivation. It's completely a thousand percent wrong. Now, I'm not saying that you at any time are not supposed to pray in groups, that you're not supposed to pray with people, that you're not supposed to pray at that large dinner table. That's not what I'm saying. You can do that. But the question that I want to ask you is that when maybe part of your confusion with prayers, you haven't seen people pray with the motivation to speak to their father. Perhaps you've seen the show, which can be extremely confusing. Let me give you a flash picture for some of us who've seen this. Because in our culture, people who stand on corners and have megaphones and are yelling you're all going to hell, turn and burn, and they're like throwing stuff at you and like screaming on the soapbox with megaphones about God, you see the crowd laughing. You see people doing everything they can to get around that person because it's so uncomfortable. That's our culture, not so in their culture. In their culture, those people were revered. In our culture, we're like, wait, this guy's nuts. Why is he out there screaming at everybody? And I've, I've seen and experienced this in so many negative ways because when that person's engaged, even if, if he's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, which, hey, do what you're going to do, the motivation as soon as someone comes, he's just yelling at people. He's angry with people. So they're seeing a picture of God as angry and yelling. That's what we see in our culture. In their culture, they see religious people putting on a show. It's good. So for Jesus to say, stop, my friends, do not pray like them. Our time of prayer should lead you to a place of connectedness and worship. Your prayer should lead you to a place of connectedness and worship. So Jesus flips the script. He takes this concept and says, this is what I want you to do. When you pray, have the right motivation. When you pray, even what's in your heart. I'm going to pray so that God's going to give me that new car. I ask, is that the right motivation? I'm going to pray so that God pushes his big God remote, the mute button on my mother. Is that the right motivation? Of course not. There's a a flip that happens when we think about what it means to honestly be connected with the Father. But... In Jesus, when he's speaking, he moves on to not only inside of their culture, but outside of their culture. So pagans, understanding that Israel is ruled at this time by Rome, and there's multiculturals coming in here. You have 
uh, Hellenization happening. You have Greece influencing culture. You have Rome influencing culture. You have the Jewish culture. And if you know anything about mythology and all that, there's many, 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 many gods. And all of these gods that were out there for the Greeks and the Romans, there's lots of different ways that they would pray and they would worship their gods. One of those ways that was practiced with the pagans is repeating things over and over and over again. Let's go back to this in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this influence here, think of it this way, standing in the... God forgive me, 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 God over and over and over and over and over again so that you turn the head of an angry God to finally look at you. The repetition was the idea that these gods don't like us and the pagan gods and the Roman and Greek gods, most of them were angry and if you've ever gotten into mythology, they're fighting with each other, they really worship these things. And so their God, as they're doing it, is they're trying to say, look at the gods, see me. They see my devotion because I'm repeating. I'm standing out for days. I will not eat or sleep. I'll just keep repeating the same things. Some would whip themselves and beat themselves to have the gods listen to them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Your father already knows what you want. Just ask him. He is not a God who's angry and not looking at you. Our God is already looking at you and loves you. Notice the difference of that statement would have been to a group of people, of a religious group of people who were worshiping these other gods who have this idea of their God being so frustrated and angry and about to smite them all the time, to a God that is deeply in love with them and cares because he already knows what you want. What he is asking, I want you to ask. Now, why would he say, I want you to ask? Why doesn't God just give us what he wants? Like, if he knows you already need it, why doesn't he give it? Well, the fact is, he does. He, he gives it to us because it says in the scriptures that God takes care of the birds and the animals and everything's cared for, so you don't even ask for things, and he already takes care of you. But notice in the word of asking that there's relationship that's here. So God is transforming this idea of prayer of something to turn an angry God's face towards you to a loving father who wants to have a conversation with you. He wants a relationship with you. That this prayer time and this connectedness is intimate and it is special. There's a huge difference of what that would have meant to their culture at the time. Because as outside influences were starting to push in on the, on the people of Israel, you can only assume by him saying, don't do this, that people were doing it. And the practice was starting to happen and the practice was being taught. He says, no, 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 friends. Don't do that. There's a God who listens, a God who loves. He has his face. You have his face. He's looking at you. He loves you. Let's talk. And then he says, now how do we do it? And he gets into the Lord's Prayer. I love how this starts because if you look at it through that lens, he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. He starts right away with the intimacy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. I want to break this down in segments. And what Jesus is doing here is not giving you a prayer that you recite over and over and over again. We just learned about that. He's giving you a framework of understanding what a relational prayer with God looks like. So if you say, I don't know how to pray. I am confused by prayer. I'm scared by prayer. Um, It's intimidating to pray. Look at it through a new lens as we break down each section. Because he gives us elements of prayer. First, our Father in heaven. It starts with an address of intimacy and connection. And Jesus, who spoke Aramaic, the language that was universal among all the groups of people, Aramaic, the word would have been Abba, translating to Daddy, translating to Papa. Hey, Dad, Papa. It's a word that was used for little ones as they would come up to their father, and they would run up. That was an intimate young child to a father. Papa, will you hear me? Hey, Dad. So think about if your prayer time began with, hey, Papa. Daddy, I'm, I'm here. He takes this idea of this prayer being a religious reaction and this thing you've got to do to appease the angry God to this beautiful relationship of a toddler running up to his father and grabbing his leg and not letting go. He changes prayer into this intimate time of love. And if you've seen that moment, one of the most special moments of my kids were toddlers and they would run and they'd grab onto my leg and squeeze tight and the other one would come up and squam, squeeze tight, and I would do the monster walk, you know, with the two kids on each leg. That connectedness, that, that I'm safe here because I'm with my daddy. That is how prayer is. If you've experienced prayer outside of that realm, you can understand why it's confusing. I've sat in prayer groups and prayer circles with well-meaning people, and this is a discipleship issue. This isn't a motivation or heart issue sometimes. We are repeating the things that we've seen and heard. And we joke about the video to make you know, lighten it up and laugh a little bit and tell stories. But I've seen this kind of stuff, and some of you have too. But when I was, uh, years ago, learned about this idea, and my friend would be in a prayer circle, and he'd say, hey, Dad. And I'd turn and I'm like, bro, that's so disrespectful. Like, I mean, that's God Almighty. That's the Father. I mean, he spins on clouds. And like, like I, I, he's like, he says, our father is my papa. It's my dad. Changed my whole mindset of having intimacy in the conversation versus trying to keep an arm's length away from God when I speak and speak at him versus instead of speaking with him. Our father who's in heaven. He moves on to say this. Our papa is also at a place of royalty. Our papa is the one who reigns and is a spiritual being who reigns supreme over everything. The idea of heaven and its vastness and its awayness, but yet holiness, we say we are intimate, but yet we are different. You are Father God Almighty, but then we revere him properly, say you are holy. And so my papa, who is ruling over all things, hallowed be your name. I use the word hallowed every day of my life. I'm like, uh, you know, I really uh, throw hallowed into like every other sentence, right? We don't use the word. (laughs) Hallowed is this idea of having this high level of reverence that your name is to be revered and cherished. The name of God is to be revered and cherished. So the very name of God is something held with a precious, precious jewel. And if you've ever read through the scriptures or know story of Old Testament and New Testament, the name of God is very, very important. 
the name of God is to be protected. And he warns over and over again because it's his identity. His identity here, when you disrespect the name of God, you're disrespecting he himself. And so when you use the name of God flippantly, I want you to think for a second what you've just done. When we use the name of God in anger, we use the name of God that is not revered. We use the name of God as a butt of some joke and some side thing. And Siri's talking, sorry. And so when we do those things, we're not hallowing his name, not revering his name. And so he says, when you talk to Papa, Papa who's in heaven, your name is precious. You are great and I'm not. It is a place of honor and a place of humility that his name is holy, creator and ruler over all the universe. Your name is to be revered. He moves on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this statement, there's an allegiance with the kingdom of God. Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is something in the Mosaic family you're going to hear talked about all the time because I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with this idea that Jesus has brought and ushered in a new way for us that's different than the world around us. That Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he would say something. It's good to attack your enemies, but I'm saying love your enemies. That's the kingdom of God. And what he's explaining to us is that Jesus' way of doing things, God's way of doing things, when Jesus comes back and reigns supreme as king, will look extremely different than what's happening in the year 2021. Thank you, Lord. Everything looks different. And so this statement is a respect and honor to an allegiance to say, Lord, bring your way of life. Bring your kingdom come. Let your things be done, not mine. Bring me into your way of thinking, God. So you are submitting yourself to this idea of allegiance, and you are submitting to his kingdom, one of peace, one of hope, one of love, forgiveness. You are praying, God, would you bring your peace into Washington County? God, would you bring your love into Washington County? God, would you save all the hurting, broken people who are far from you in Washington County? That would be an example of being able to pray your kingdom come, your earth be done. Right now, here where we live, as it is up by you. Now, if you have ever prayed, you're like, I, I, may, I don't want to know your story, but if you've ever prayed, how often are you praying that God's kingdom comes to your neighborhood? That God's kingdom comes to your neighbor? That God's kingdom comes to your kids' schools? That God's kingdom comes? And have you ever thought that in this intimacy with the Father, as disciples of Jesus, it is our part to bring and usher that joy, peace, love, this new way of doing things into the world. As a disciple of Jesus, that is the role we get to be with our Papa, that we can be the light and help usher in God's kingdom by simply loving people who don't love us, being radically generous, serving broken, hurting people, forgiving when people don't deserve forgiveness. When we do the things of God, it isn't about us creating some, we're holier than thou like the teachers were of his time, what it is doing is ushering in a new way of life through us into our communities. We are, we are now in allegiance with God's kingdom. And so Jesus says, when you're praying, 
You should be praying that their kingdom come on earth that is in heaven. You ever thought that God has specifically put you in a certain place at a certain time for such a time as this, that your role and your time is to be that light into the world, that Jesus, with relationship with him, has brought you into that place of being a light, that the kingdom can come through you because of the Spirit working through you. What an unbelievable concept that turns us into some religious act into relationship with the Father, that turns it into me just babbling words all the time, just like, God, what can I do to help bring your kingdom? Because your kingdom is life. Your kingdom is hope. Totally different way of thinking once again. That's the beauty of the gospel, is the gospel brings us relationship with Jesus, our God Almighty with us into a relationship where we get to be part of a story of bringing in his kingdom. We get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, I don't know about your stories, but I will say this. In my story, I've never heard anybody in my life say to me, stop loving me. Stop caring about me. Stop forgiving me. Stop having joy. Stop being faithful. All these fruits of the Spirit that God brings out in us, I have not had that experience. In fact, I hear, why do you love me? Why do you forgive me? Why do you have joy? And my answer is this. The answer is the gospel, Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm not good. I'm, I'm a knucklehead just like everybody else. But the hope that I have is my allegiance to my Father on his mission to bring hope and love into the world. And that's what Jesus prays for in this prayer. If you don't know what to pray for, just at least pray for that. Hey, Papa, you're awesome. How can I help bring your hope into the world? Amen. You just prayed half the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but there's more. He says, give us today our daily bread. Bread is a beautiful symbol within the Jewish people. And the bread was a symbol of life. For the Old Testament people and the Jewish people, they'd understand this idea that God provided manna or food for them when they were in the desert, where God frees them in Egypt. It was just Easter last week, so Ten Commandments is always on TV. Hopefully you saw it, Charlton Heston, let my people go, right? So then manna comes down, and so as these people are being brought out of Egypt and they're out there, God provides food. God provides everything they need. And so this give us today our daily bread is this beautiful idea of bringing you to a place of submission, say, Lord, will you provide? Lord, would you provide and take care of me? You don't know what to pray? Lord, would you take care of me today? Notice he doesn't say, give us today our coolest new car. Give us today some, my bigger new house. It is, will you provide and take care of me, Papa? Because at that place, you will find that you are content. Provision of the basics and necessities of life brings an idea of contentment. But what's really cool about this, and I don't know if you know this, fun fact. That is why we use unleavened crackers when we do communion. Because for the Passover feast, when they remember the time that they were brought through there and God was given manna, they had to leave so quickly that they didn't have time to raise their bread with yeast. And so all they had was this flat unleavened bread, and that became then tradition with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people then would eat this at Passover time to remember God provided for us 
a way out of Egypt when we were slaves, but now we didn't have time. And they remember their forefathers and four families that were unable to raise their bread. Then when Jesus came, they were celebrating Passover when he passed the bread and they had the cup and the bread. If you know that story, we're going to be celebrating that today. And he would have had unleavened bread to remember that. And so that is why we have unleavened bread in our Christian tradition, traditions to remember that Jesus was celebrating the Passover. That's why you don't see big chunks of bread. But once again, bread is a symbol of life. Jesus was called the bread of life. And so, Lord, will you take care of me today? Simple when you start to break things down. He moves on. Forgive us our debts as we've all, as we also forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is not an option because you've been forgiven so much. Jesus talks about it over and over again in his teachings, that you have no option but to forgive. And he, what we see here is a repentant heart that says, Father, please forgive me for everything I have done. And Lord, empower me to forgive the way that you do. Think of the idea of someone who's been forgiven much but does not forgive. Jesus teaches about it. And when he speaks about it, he speaks about that person as being evil. He speaks that person being far from God because you don't really recognize how much you've been forgiven. So in your prayer time, you sit at a place of repentance and you say, God, forgive me. It's very different from, God, I know what I did this week. I'm so sorry I did that. And as I'm saying this, the things are spinning in your mind. Can he read my mind? I cannot. But I see the thought bubbles over your heads, you know? <laughs> and you sit there with a pause. And you start to think about the people who've wronged you. Have I, Lord, do I have any grudge against? What have I, how did I treat that person who cut me off yesterday? How did I treat my husband when he said that thing to me? Have I forgiven? How did I treat my friend? It brings you to a humble place of repentance that says, forgive me, and it reflects on what you've been forgiven of through the beauty of the gospel and how, God, empower me. Give me the strength to forgive the same way as you have forgiven. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God doesn't lead us into evil acts, to be clear. Because it's like, that's kind of confusing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a request to understand our frailty, understanding how broken we are, understanding how you are going to choose sin. You're going to choose it. And there's a humility when you think about that, like, no, I'm good. Think about this. They were just talking about the religious leaders over here who were babbling and doing all this show. Now he's reflecting this heart of humility and submission to the master. And this humility and this submission says this, I am broken and I am frail. Would you guide me even though I'm going to take, make terrible choices today? And my terrible choices are going to lead me straight into the enemy's hand. And the enemy wants to kill me. Would you lovingly guide me away out of that? Because it's going to happen. I'm going to mess up. The temptation's going to come. I'm going to fall, and I'm going to make terrible choices. Great one. Would you get me out of the mess that's about to happen? Guide me out back into what is true, away from sin. It acknowledges our brokenness. 
This petition brings humility. It brings a posture of relationship. It brings you to a place of prayer that looks at prayer through the lens of a father who cares about your needs for food, air, water, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your mental life. It's a father who is sitting down on a chair next to you, listening and having a conversation with his beloved child. Someone, each one of you, created in God's image. He didn't say, give us a prayer to say, do this and recite this over and over. He gave us a guideline to have an intimate prayer life with Papa. It's not a loud noise. It's not superstitious words. It's a real conversation with our Papa. That then leads us to a place of worship you may have never experienced before. It brings you to a heart of having nothing but song and relationship, words. Some people worship through art and writing. It brings you to a place of just connectedness with a Father who is madly in love with you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.